I'd like to have us take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 21 today, and uh, we're going to have to have our our Bible-turning fingers nimble because we're going to go to uh, three passages today. We're going to be in Matthew, and then Jeremiah, and then Isaiah, and then back to Matthew. Um so uh, there's a reason for this. And uh, normally, Fridays are the day when we have uh, students in the vault room uh, giving the devotion, but the students at Bob Jones University are not back yet. So uh, even I know I look like a college student, but um, I'm going to uh, fill the spot of a college student today. And um, I think you'll recognize this text well, I know you'll recognize this text because we've <laughs> we've referenced it a lot. But uh, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to begin reading in verse 12 of Matthew. And then um, I want to kind of give the background to this text. This has been uh, starting yesterday. I started a study on the background of this text, and I've just uh, really uh, hadn't planned on talking about it today, but it's kind of like somebody else was mentioning. Was it Dave Dietz or somebody was mentioning here recently? Um, just, you know, this kind of just fills your heart when you're studying these things. But uh, Matthew 21, verse 12 says this, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast, cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And before I read verse 14, I just want to comment that when Mark, in Mark's gospel, he adds a couple of words, three words in that phrase, he would say, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it the den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, that verse 14 is not our text, but that verse 14 has always been of intrigue to me. Why would Jesus follow that designation of his house or the temple or what would be then the gathering of God's people? Why would he follow that by this comment that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them? And I think there's a, well, there's obviously a reason for that because the Lord did it, but uh, I think there's a background to that. So if you could just keep your finger or your bookmark or something in Matthew 21 and go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Please, Jeremiah chapter 7, and I'm just going to start reading, even though we're still turning. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 7, and uh, verse 9 says this, We steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, or Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not. So God's talking to his people. <laughs> He's talking to his covenant people here and uh, listing these horrible, horrible sins. Um, verse 10, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered 
to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Hmm. So <laughs> God sees the sinfulness of his people as being accepted as the norm among them. They would even say, we have become licensed. We are your covenant people. You can't dismiss us. Uh, we're your covenant community. And he's saying, even though you are my covenant people, and even though you are going through Mosaic law rituals, you're thinking that's enough to have my blessing. You're thinking because you're my people, you're going through all these things, it's adequate. <clears throat> but there's no regard to stand before me. Um, there's no regard for his presence. Huh. And I couldn't help but think of even, I mean, sometimes the way I have approached worship, the way modern day Christians approach worship, do we carry sin before the Lord in our worship and just expect God to honor us? Now, we are robed in the righteousness of Christ, and we cannot lose that position before God. And we have received salvation by grace, but there's also the need to live by grace. Um, there is responsibility on our part. But some, it appears, and maybe we act like this as well, we appear that because we are a part of God's covenant community, that that's as far as our, our responsibility goes. We have our fire insurance, but that's as far as it goes. And I'm just wondering if, I mean, this is obviously a conjecture on my part. I'm just wondering if that's why we don't pray. That's why churches don't pray. Why should we? We can handle this by ourselves. We've got our relationship with God secure. And maybe that's an, a sign that we don't actually, or there's some that don't actually have that relationship secure. Um, but the Lord says, behold, even I have seen it. <laughs> I, I'm not blind. I see what you're doing. And it, it's a grief to a grief to his heart. Now with that, there's another background to our a background text to our Matthew 21 text, not only Jeremiah 7, but Isaiah 56. And this is the more prominent text that comes into, into play um, with the Gospels. Um, Isaiah 56 and verse 6 says, Isaiah 56, 6, all the, all, also the sons of the stranger. So these are non-covenant people, non-Israelites that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh not taketh hold of my covenant. So these are people that are outside the covenant that are becoming God followers. And he's seeing their hearts. Verse seven, even them. <laughs> we would liken those today to even unbelievers, if you would say. Um, I, I love the fact that even in this verse seven, it's 
it's such that God knows who they are. I mean, we're praying for worldwide revival, but God knows who every person is that needs Christ. God knows them, even them. Will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer? Really, this is our this is our goal of our prayer call, of our united prayer Zoom meeting, is that those that don't know Christ would be coming into relationship with God to where they would be joyful in his house of prayer. Um, and those who are in rebellion to God, let's just say they are true believers, but they're so far out of fellowship with him that they're acting as unbelievers, that they would also have a restored joy in their hearts as they worship the Lord. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. In other words, all the stuff that he's seeing that is in, in the Old Testament that his covenant people are doing, he wants, he wants their actions to be accepted. Um, I love the fact that we can go from filthy rags to delight before God. It's only God can do that. That's why we pray. That's a supernatural work of God. And only God can bring unrighteousness as filthy rags to the place of confession, repentance, acceptance of Christ, and it becomes a delight to be in his presence. For mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Wow. Such an intimate relationship. And I know this may not, well, I, I trust this will be understood in the spirit in which it's said. I appreciate what we've heard several people lately say. It's not God, Jesus does not say my house should be called a house of singing or counseling or worship or even preaching. But my house should be called a house of prayer. There's an intimacy with prayer that doesn't come from anything else. And this is what he's looking for. So going back to Matthew chapter 21, um, verse 13, the text says, And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Hmm. So the reflection of our lo love and gratitude to God is prayer. That that's that's a demonstration of what God has done in our hearts. As a result of what God has done in our hearts, we long to pray and we long to pray that others would know him as well. Those yet needing this intimate relationship. But as we close and since we've mentioned even a prodigal and we've been praying for those that are prodigals, we've been praying for those that are needing Jesus Christ as Savior, the blind and the lame came to him. Hmm. We could equate that with sinfulness. They they would often see in the Old Testament, and the New Testament, the first century, they would often equate um, leprosy or even blindness as, as a result of sin. It, it wasn't, but that's what they, but the lame would carry that connotation. We could even say that these were, that these were, those that were coming with the baggage on their of their lives, they were coming to Christ. They're coming seeking the Lord. 
And I was reminded that in a, even in a in our current culture, we'll just call our current heated political culture, huh, um, humans are not the enemy. Unbelievers are not the enemy. No matter how unrighteous they are, Satan is the enemy. Um, in fact, when Christ looks at an unbelieving, hostile culture, he weeps for the multitudes. We weep physically or, or emotionally. We weep because we know the joy of the Lord and we want others to know as well. It just is refreshing to me to even see prodigals in this text and know that God loves prodigals. And he longs to heal them like he longed to heal the blame, the, the, the blind and the lame. Um, longs to heal them. Now, the icing on the cake is in Isaiah 56. You don't need to go back there. But in Isaiah 56 and verse 6, the scripture says, join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. The word service and the word servants were used for priestly relationship, priestly service. And here's the picture. When unbelievers come to Christ, they move from rebels to righteous. I even started praying this morning, God, these, these prodigals that we're praying for, make them not just come to Christ. We would love for that to be the case or come back to Christ. But God, would you turn them into priests? <laughs> would you turn them into laborers for you? Would you turn them into preachers and missionaries? Would you turn them into, into aggressive, aggressive servants of yours? Service and servants, from outcasts to servants. So today, dear friend, as we approach God in prayer, we've been hugely blessed by God. But let's let's approach God in holiness and humility before him as we pray for revival and awakening.